welcome to another episode of the high ground powered by premier companies and uh with just me and aaron in the in the podcast room today <laughs> yeah. and so uh give you a time stamp we're a couple weeks past the uh, july 4th weekend in 2022 and aaron and i was talking and we think it would just be a just be fun for the listeners that aren't involved in this industry just to just to hear what happens to to kind of the whole process of how corn you know we talk about just the, the fields of corn and and i guess if you're on the east or west coast we're the flyover mm-hmm. territory right oh, yeah. it's a long flight mm-hmm. from the east to the west coast but just tell you a little bit about how we get to how we get corn out of the fields into the fields planted and how we get them out of it and so aaron i think i'll start with just kind of the process for our listeners just that's good uh, so this will be a Production 101, we'll call this. Sounds good to me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, we just had another podcast where we talked a lot about the weather. And we start planting in the eastern Corn Belt. Uh, matter of fact, probably across most of the Midwest, we start planting. Uh, we'll try to get in there just as quick as we can if we have a good forecast. Um, early, early spring, um, around the 1st of April. Maybe a little earlier, but not much. But generally speaking, about the 1st of April, uh, we start looking to get the crops in the ground. And what reason for that is we're trying to beat the summer heat. Mm-hmm. We don't want pollination in the in the worst parts of August. So we try to get the crops out in uh, early April, and the conditions have got to be right when we plant. And if it's wet, uh, you can't pull a planter through mud. They're just not designed to do that. And uh, you need a good seed bed, just like if you was in a flower pot and you're in your uh, on the back deck, or if you're doing something else, you need a good good dry seed bed to plant into. So we get the plant uh, the crops in the ground. Hopefully, we have them in the ground by mid May, and uh, then there's a lot of things we do to them. We fertilize them. Um, we put fertilizer on uh, manure applications or or commercial fertilizer. We take soil samples to find out how deficient the soil is and we only put on as much fertilizer as we need we variable rate apply that across the field to about two and a half acre grids and um, we don't want to over apply fertilizer because we don't want it to run off mm-hmm. and we don't want to waste it so we only put on what we think we're going to need for the the crop we're going to grow and um, and then we try to keep the weeds and bugs out of it and the funguses uh, so that's uh, weeds, bugs, and and <laughs> fungus diseases. We try to sp- to spray and take care of them, and it's uh, no different than your than your rose bushes outside of the houses. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't want beetles in our crops either. So, um, a lot of the products we use now are so much more safe than they were back in the seventies and eighties. Um, the products we use today are are very safe for the environment they're safe for the for the people handling them um they're safe for the uh folks around the crops that we're spraying and then uh once the crops get to a certain stage they get too big to really go through very easily and they get really tall corn plant gets very tall and then we'll bring in airplanes and we'll spray on fungicides and other maybe some other nutrients that the crop might need and uh, if there's if there's insects out there that are damaging the crop we we um we try to kill those too right mm-hmm. and again these are pyrethroid insecticides a lot of times and um uh, very safe to use 
And then we wait for harvest, which is physiological maturity. If, if our agronomist was on here with us, uh, we wait for harvest, and that's where the fun starts, isn't it, Aaron? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. You guys do everything in your power to keep the plant alive for as long as it can be, to produce the best that it can, um, and so that the quality of grain coming out is the best that it is. Um, and then once that is done and once it hits that combine, uh, you know, for the listeners on the east and west coast it's not like we're out there with horses and wagons anymore i mean we do have some people in the territory do. that does yeah we they're do. not listening no, they're- <laughs> no no horses don't typically like to walk across a grate for anybody that hasn't known that so we do see smaller tractors and wagons still still come in and we're uh, talking about the amish of yes, course we yeah. have several amish communities yep. Yep. i doubt they're listening to our podcast <laughs> I don't know. I see a couple with iPhones now. <laughs> the electric comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, we do have some uh, good. We have good customers, but um, uh, it, but for the most part, we're commercial yes. ag production. Yep. And um, so the combines come through mm-hmm. and uh, run, uh, separate the grain, mm-hmm. right, and then we haul them to a semi to the edge of a field. Yep. Generally speaking, and then what happens there? Yeah. So then they typically, uh, you know, the vast majority now with where the industry is at is it hits a semi, and from there, you know, it can hit multiple different destinations. It can hit the farms bins. It can hit a, a rail market. It can hit a feeder market. And by feeder, I just mean um, any company that is buying corn or beans to grind it to feed to their livestock production okay so it's just like us with the swine division that chickens, we have oh yeah chickens hogs. hogs i mean some of them actually just they're feeders they're not actually in the livestock industry they bring it in to feed it for somebody else's uh-huh. livestock so you've got that i mean you've got food grade i mean anywhere from tortilla chips like azteca down in um, evansville area so the very southwest corner of, it, of uh, indiana um, you've got Bungie up in um, uh, Morristown, which is around Indianapolis area, where they grind a lot of beans into bean meal. That will go into a lot of food products. Um, a lot of protein. A lot of protein, yeah. A lot of protein. Um, you've even got stuff that will buy products will end up going down to like a Kentucky area or a or any kind of pet food uh, supplier. So some of the corn by, by products and even bean by products, all of a sudden they'll end up in your dog and cat food. Hmm. Uh, so... But once it gets on that semi, it has free range. Farmers have free range to take it wherever they want. Um, and for you know our little neck of the woods in southern Indiana, a lot of that, um, a, a portion of our market goes northern, more towards the ethanol market, so into the fuel, uh, biofuel area. And then some of it goes south more towards the riverside. So you've got your end users and your exports is really what it boils down to. Um, and then you've got some in-betweens that help make the whole logistic supply chain work better which is where i sit as an elevator um i try to help people out that don't have the storage try to maximize their pro their their profit making um in harvest uh through other tools and we try to take it in hold it until the market needs it so which serves a pretty good oh, need yeah. mm-hmm. because you uh, not everybody has enough on-farm storage in these the grain bins yeah and there's also a good thing because once you have it, you take care of it. Yeah. You keep it yeah. dry. Uh, explain how you do that when it comes in. 
Yeah, so we have, uh, you know, there's a bunch of different ways throughout the industry. You've got ground piles, which will be the uh, big mounds out there that you see with tarps over the top. You've got the concrete silos. you got the metal bins. You've got, even got bags that people fill. Um, my location and, and the Columbus location, even our feed mills, they're all bin uh, structures, so metal structures that you see. Um, we've got air aeration or fans blowing on them all the time. We've got sensors inside the bin to monitor temperature, humidity, um, moisture even to see if we need to put a little bit more air to it to get it to the quality standards that the consumer wants hmm. um, because essentially the consumer drives all of this. At the end of the day, they drive what they want out of their Tito's <laughs> alcohol, yeah. what they want out of their Rice crispy Treats. They drive all that. Um, so the end users or the export markets, their job is to find the quality that they need to produce those types of products. And then it's my job to try to help the farmer best market their grain and maintain that quality to get it to a point of where we need it. So and by, like quali- and by quality, you mean just a, a good kernel that's yep. not damaged. Good kernel, not damaged. Uh, you don't see fungus or mold or anything. Like, I mean, nobody likes mold in their no. house. So why would you want to eat that stuff? No, that doesn't sound good. Which is, so it's not like we just, it's not like farmers out there are just mowing over corn and picking up dirt and rocks yeah. and sitting it on a semi and bringing it to me. And then we're grinding it all up with bugs and everything. That's not how it exactly happens. I mean, we have good quality grain going into the stuff that we are ingesting. You take a probe of mm-hmm. every load, every single every single truck that comes in. We take a any kind of wagon, semi, it doesn't matter how big, how small. We take samples. I take samples as it comes across my scale, and then when I turn around and ship it back out, they take samples of what I already sampled and already maintained quality. So there is there's a check system through wow. the entire yeah through the entire chain. Um, you know, once it hits like the export market. Well, let's back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I kind of interrupted you there. but no, So good. now it comes into your terminal, mm-hmm. into your grain facility. Yep. And then what do you do with it? Yeah, so I typically, what the function of an elevator is, um, for anyone that doesn't understand what an elevator does, their whole function is to provide a service to the local grain market, to the local customers, a way to better manage their crop um, once, it's out of the, once it's out of the field. So we have a bunch of different tools, but long story short, they bring it to us and we either buy it from them at right then and there, or we've contracted it before and they're just finally delivering it, or we'll even contract it forward and they'll deliver it later on using their own bins to hold it until a better window that suits them. Um, So what we're trying to do is if you think about Atlanta at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, Two hour, three hour backup. Okay. I think every everybody listening to this just got the same picture, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So imagine that at five o'clock. Okay, that's what our October and November is for the grain industry. Wow. Most terminals, elevators, anywhere you are delivering lines will back up because the pipeline cannot cannot handle it all at one time. There's not enough storage out there to handle all the production that we have typically um, to handle it right then and there. So what we do is you can't just deliver all the corn bushels that um, like a uh, oh, like a Frito-Lay tortilla chip. They can't handle all two mil- bulk, yeah, two millions of bushels all in October, November. They, they can't do that. So what we'll have is bushels will hit markets like me where I'll hold it for a couple months and then provide it to whoever 
in the January through the rest of the year in a window of time that fits their production needs. So it's not like we just all of a sudden slam everything in and then we just walk away from it and we don't do anything the rest of the year. (laughs) There's always stuff going on. I mean, if farmers have grain bins on their own farm, they're not only trying to plant a crop in March, April, May, they're also trying to move the old crop out to the markets that it needs to get to. Um, and that's all driven by how basis and, and freight and all that works together. There's, there's a lot of intricacies into yeah. this industry that a lot of people don't, I don't, I don't think we quite grasp. And sometimes they don't need to because it's our job and our farmers are amazing at it and getting what they have to where it needs to be when it needs to be there. It kind of struck me whenever you use the Atlanta example of how much, how many times the grain gets wheels under it. Mm-hmm. Um, so through the combine to the grain cart, to the semi mm-hmm. driven to your terminal, then from there it gets wheels under it yep. again somewhere. Yep. Uh, it's just amazing how many, how many times it's handled before it actually hits the end yeah. user. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's insane how many times this product gets touched and checked and maintained to make sure that we produce the best product that we can. Um, and going back to the Atlanta, you know, that three-hour long traffic jam, think about it if you have an Uber stuck in that and you're really wanting that Taco Bell quesadilla delivered right then and there nice and warm. That three-hour traffic jam is not going to allow that. So that's the same thing as what happens with the corn. You know, if, if a farmer tries to harvest a crop and deliver it, to where it needs to be at some point in the year all at once, that means there's going to be more stuff left out in the field because he's waiting three, four, five hours to get rid of one load. There's 20, 30, 40, 50, hundreds of loads still left out in the field that he has to go get. And the longer it sits out there, the quality starts starts to deteriorate. Yeah. So as a consumer, you don't want bad quality grain going into your food. So... That's where elevators like me, and, and that's why we build this storage. So it may look funny when you drive by wherever. I mean, or if you fly over and you get below the cloud cover, <laughs> take a look. That's why we have the big silos is so that we can bring them in, hold it, and maintain it until that window of time that the consumer and the production facilities need it. Um, you know, in the, in the export market, it's not like the exports are against the u.s farmer or the u.s market that's like well if we're talking about weather like on the last podcast yeah. oh we have we have bad weather we need to just hold all the corn that we look even in bad year we still produce a significant amount um hopefully typically even in 12 we still produced x amount um we are a net exporter yep which always means that we just we have more in our country than what we actually need to handle to do everything that we use corn for and beans for. So the export is just another way to incentivize uh, what we do as a nation. It is a benefit to us to provide a good quality product to other people in the world. Um, and so, you know, when you see the river systems and you see the barges or you even see uh, trains going by with uh, grain carts or grain cars on mm-hmm. They're all trying to hit a market that doesn't have enough. So, like, you take the southeast, uh, the, the the big chicken producers down in the southeast in the Carolinas and Georgia, they don't have enough crop down there to fill their needs. So it hits a train or it hits a barge and it hits a different destination, which then can feed that market. 
that needs it. So yeah, literally in this case. Yeah, literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I tell you, we. Uh, I think uh, my wife's planning on having uh, chicken tonight, and mm-hmm. uh, we don't think about where when we get the chicken breast from the JC store or wherever you buy it from. You don't think about everything involved yeah. in the supply chain mm-hmm. to make all that happen. But it is interesting, and I know that our listeners, whenever Aaron and I talked before we did this podcast, was like, let's just say what how how the flow works of, of the grain and how it moves around. But now there's a way for uh, consumers and, and growers to show how they farm. And yeah. we use that through our sustainable agriculture platform. It's a true Terra. We call it uh, Premier Ag Sustain, where a grower can go in there and actually it's kind of a documentation. As much as you probe and check the grain, it also shows the things he did to apply to the field and at what times. And so you can know because people want to know they're curious. They want to know more answers about how, how the food was produced or how the grain moved. And this is a way for farmers to be able to show how they farm. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've had a lot of interest in that in the last year and a half, two years. So we're going to continue with that program. I think that's awesome. Being able to tell the story about, how this crop started and how it finished. Yeah. And to be able to fill in all the little details of anybody. I mean, most people don't typically care, but it's, it's neat to have that in the back pocket of saying, yeah, did you know that what you're eating right now actually came from 50 miles away, but it actually started 10 miles away from your house. And I, I, I think that blows people's minds. And hopefully, you know, for the listeners on the East coast or West coast, wherever you're listening from, when you take that flight and go over <laughs> Indiana, Iowa, Illinois, I understand we look like nothing but cornfields. <laughs> I get it. There's actually activity. But there's a lot going on yeah. here. Um, there may not be as many of us in the Midwest as there are on the coast, but uh, you're welcome. We do all the <laughs> all the corn and soybean production We're staying for pretty it. busy. Yeah, we're staying pretty busy. So <laughs> we're not just sitting out back chewing on hay straws anymore. <laughs> it's a funny thing about... Um, the other industries that um, agriculture, we think about the ones that are just in our industry, but it was uh, last summer I was going into the local car wash here to get my truck washed mm-hmm. and uh, just talking to the owner. And you can, I, I, I'm sure he's the owner. He's there every day. Yeah. And um, just asked how's it, how business has been. He goes, well, just waiting for you all to get busy. <laughs> and it was uh, kind of late summer going into fall and uh, all the dust from the soybean harvest. He goes, when you guys get busy, I get busy. <laughs> <laughs> so I never thought about that. Uh, well, he's remodeling his uh, car wash uh, station. So uh, it must business must have been good. So well, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Well, that's what we got here. Just kind of an overview of what happens to grain in the in the uh, supply chain. So hopefully our listeners found that of interest. And uh, as always, you can find us at premierag.com. And Aaron, I think that's another episode of the High Ground powered by Premier Companies. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Thanks.